corner and the offseason goes on as we continue with our positional reviews. This time shifting to the defense. Welcome into another Strictly Stripes offseason edition of this podcast. Muhammad Ahmad here with you with Andrew Gillis and Mike Isaac to kick off another week. We wrapped up the offense last week. We tied it up with the offensive line. I said we would get to the secondary, but I figured, hey, go from the O-line to D-line. That's a good little pivot. I think it's uh, good to kind of stay on course with that. Um, and like last week, we'll talk about the edge rushers and then focus on the interior, uh, how they fared, what the future looks like, what needs to change and why. And of course, just to jump right into it with the edge rushers, kind of starting off with Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson. Uh, and guys, I just want to ask you guys first off, before I get to Hendrickson, because I think there's a lot to say with him, uh, even though Sam Hubbard missed a game with that calf slash ankle injury in December, Six and a half sacks, a forced fumble, still the most in his career in a season. Um, and this is even after missing one game. How well do you think Sam Hubbard played given he's on an extension deal right now? And what do you want to see improve with him specifically in the pass rush going into 2023? Well, I think the the number one thing that you can kind of point to with, with Hendrickson and Hubbard is that, um, you know, they their numbers are never – really kind of the full story with how good they played. Um, you kind of hear that about, you know, when you talk to Lou Anarumo and different guys in the building, you you see that when you look at, you know, some advanced stuff like pass rush uh, win rates and, and things like that. You know, they they really kind of outperformed their their sack numbers um, and their the kind of how much they got home. Uh, and I think that matters. I mean, when you have a guy who's getting eight sacks, that's good. When you have a guy who's getting six and a half, that's good. Uh, I think the the number one thing you would want to see is you you got to have maybe more than fourteen combined. Uh, if you can get more than that, you can really start to do some creative things otherwise defensively. But I mean, aside from that, that's kind of that's kind of cherry picking because those two guys are really good. Um, they they do a really nice job in terms of of their assignments, not just in the pass game but in the run game too. Um, you know, you hear guys to, you know talk about that a lot, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to ask for a ton more from those guys. Uh, you know, they're not Aaron Donald. You know, they're not, you know, elite Von Miller Hall of Fame pass rushers, but they're really, really good. Uh, and I think that that is, I mean, that's, you know what you're going to get from those guys and what you're going to get is is really solid production. And um, that's, it's hard to complain about. Yeah, but the problem for the Bengals is they're paying for elite production almost on the defensive line. and. Um, they're, they're, you know, not necessarily getting it on, on the pass rush. I mean, the salaries, uh, I don't know if you've seen the kind of the cap spending yeah. $60 million towards the defensive line. And that's most of that's towards four players, uh, for two, 2023. And that's ranked second highest in the NFL at the position. Um, and they just need to get to the quarterback more if that, if, you know, they, they can't, the Bengals really can't make any moves. I, I, I feel like at the position without cutting somebody cutting somebody doesn't really make sense in terms of Hendrickson, you know, Hendrickson and DJ reader, um, both have cap savings, but you know, reader's not going anywhere and Hendrickson, you know, cutting him, the, his salary wouldn't allow you to replace two guys. Um, so I, I do think the production needs to be better just in terms of, you know, what they're spending at the position. I mean, it's, it's a huge amount of money, um, to be at the bottom of the league in terms of sack productions and, their pressures were down, according to you know Pro Football Focus and other uh, sites that that kind of have keep track of those. You know, um, down about thirty to forty from last year. So uh, I do think they need a little more production out of that group, just because of how much they're getting paid. 
I do want to make a quick correction on Hubbard. Um, if you include his postseason sack on uh, Patrick Mahomes, that's the second most in his career. He had eight and a half his second season. But I want to ask you this, Mike, because you make an interesting point. So, you know, you have Hendrickson, back-to-back Pro Bowls. So that's the team record for most sacks in the season, you know, during the year they went to the Super Bowl. But you say you want to see more, like, production. I mean, is there kind of, like, a number or – sort of like a quota of like how many sacks or pressures they have to hit. Like I know Andrew said you want to see ideally 14 plus combined. Like what does that look like for the Bengals just given how much cash they're shoveling out? If you have to kind of just predict it. As a group, I was looking at the sacks per attempt uh, when it's less than 5%. Teams rarely make the playoffs. The Bengals were right at that line. Um, I mean, they were at the bottom of the league in most statistical, you know, measurements of, of pass rush. Um, and it just needs to be better. I don't, I don't think you can set a number. I mean, that's sort of arbitrary, but um, just more consistent and impact the quarterback more. I thought they went quiet uh, for long stretches. I think injuries did play a role. Um, you know, how much um, missing DJ Reader for those that lengthy stretch with the knee injury, you know, if he's back um, healthy and, and has a full season, will that just, you know, take care of it? I'm not sure, but uh, they just, I, I think it needs to be, you know, more consistent than they were, uh, last year, more like the 2021 season. Andrew, what do you think? Does Mike make a point, or do you think maybe he's being a little bit too critical of specifically, like, you know, Hendrickson? Like, wh- where do you think, you know, the truth kind of lies within that, in your opinion? No, no, he's not being too critical because you, you do got to get home. Um, you know, I think when you when you kind of look at their play together, they're, they're good quality defensive ends, but – like Mike, like Mike said, you're paying Trey Hendrickson a cap hit in 2023 of $15.4 million. You're paying Sam Hubbard $9.9 million. So you're paying a lot of money for uh, – you're paying $25 million for these guys. Uh, you, need, you need some kind of presence off the edge. And I'm not saying they don't give it to you, but you do need to get to the quarterback more than they have been um, because, again, you've got – $15 million in DJ Reader, and we'll get to them in a minute, but you've got $10 million in BJ Hill. Like Mike went through the numbers. Like if you're going to invest that much in a defensive line, that's what sinks teams that, you know, that is kind of what hurts teams as you kind of look at the salary cap and the things that, that, you know, as, as things kind of evolve with Joe Burrow's contract, it's not the, we paid a really good player, a lot of money. It's we paid a group, a lot of money. That's not giving us, the production that that amount of money would indicate. Um, so you, you've got to get more pass rush, and I don't want to place it all on Hendrickson and Hubbard. Um, you know, this obviously can go down to BJ Hill, and if you want to get into some of the reserves, Zach Carter, Cam Sample. Um, you know, you you can Joseph Osai. You can you can kind of go down the list here and say, okay, you know, you need more from these guys. You got to get after the quarterback more because uh, I, I mean the game is a passing game, and if you can get after the passer and defend the pass, you're going to win. Uh, more often than not. And if you're talking about a team that is going to lose Jesse Bates, you're going to lose maybe some of your depth in the secondary. What if you have to play some younger guys? That's not a combination where you want to have, you know, you you don't want to have a pass rush for. You want to be able to get after the quarterback and kind of give those guys a little bit of a break and, and not have so much pressure and so much of the game come down to them. You know, and that's the thing. Like you said, I agree with you. It's a pass-first league. It's a pass-heavy league. And that's why you pay guys like that. Like, I know this is an extreme example because I think he's the highest-paid defensive end, but Miles Garrett, five years, $125 million. I mean, he's with Cleveland until, what, 2026, but that's why you pay a guy like that because he even makes guys like Joe Burrow miserable. I mean, 
You know, like, but here's the thing, like you said, they're not paying one guy all that money like him or Aaron Donald. You know, you're, you're paying two guys pretty well. Like Sam Hubbard got a $40 million extension. You know, Hendrickson's like, I mean, we just, we just talked about his numbers. I mean, he's getting paid and he's got two years left on his deal. But here's the thing with Hendrickson, though. You have two years left with him. Hubbard's going to be there at least through, I think, 2025, according to spot track. So Hubbard's not going in for a while. But with Hendrickson, you know, you got two years left with him. I don't want to treat, you know, 2023 as like a make or break year. But to that point, in terms of the draft and or free agency, how much do you start preparing for a potential future without Trey Hendrickson? Because come 2024, I mean, with the Joe Burrow extension era that we're in, I don't know that the Bengals can pay him, you know, come that time. So do you start planning for that now? And if so, what does that kind of look like? I think you have well, to start planning for, for post anything in, in, in a salary cap era, especially one when you're going to pay a quarterback like $50 million. Like you, you really, you need a constant pipeline of young players that you can replace for cheap because, you know, you mentioned Hendrickson's deal. Uh, we'll get to this when we talked about the interior lineman, but DJ Reader's going into a contract year. Um, that's going to matter. Uh, you're paying him 15 plus million dollars. You're, you're, you maybe staring down the gun of, of losing one of uh, one of the better interior run uh, run defenders and interior defensive tackles in the league. And you're going to, so you're going to lose him. If, if you do lose him after 2023, that's not going to help your defensive ends. You, you got to have a constant pipeline role in here because Hubbard's going to make, you know, $9 million and $10 million and $11 million. Then what happens? Like, is Joseph Osai ready? You still have Cam Sam. Like you've got to keep a pipeline rolling with these guys, these younger players. You know, that's why it's so crucial to develop fourth and fifth and sixth round picks, because as you develop them, if one guy develops into a starter, great. Then if you need a salary cap crunch, it makes it a little bit easier to swallow. If you have to let Trey Hendrickson walk in free agency or let Sam Hubbard walk in free agency, although as painful as that might sound, that's the realities of the business. Yeah, I mean, and and I think Hendrickson is a huge cap. Um, you know, his the possibility of cutting him goes up um, significantly next year. I think he's scheduled to make like seventeen, and his dead cap money is only two point five. Correct. So that would mean saving uh, like fifteen million dollars. So um, you know, I I think that uh, you've got to start looking at it now. And I don't know how you you know you're running out of draft capital when you talk about some of these. You know, because they're, they're so limited in what they can do for in free agency. But at the same time, I mean, it's now or never, right? I mean, I know Joe Burrow says they're windows, you know, forever. But, I mean, I'd be all in and trying to get an impact player. Uh, in terms of a pass rusher, you know, I think defensive tackle you can sort of build maybe for the future. But I, I'd be all in to try to get – like, if you can get one more pass rusher on this team, I think you'd really um, – uh, I'd be in good shape in terms of that rotation and, and trying to impact quarterbacks. Um you know, you could hope for a bounce back year from those guys as a, as a group a little bit, but but I think it would help, and I think it would, it would it would make this team much more dangerous defensively. And speaking of you know touching on the future, before we get into those interior rushers, like you guys mentioned, I mean, you mentioned Joseph Osai, you mentioned Cam Sample. People might focus on what Osai did in the AFC Championship, but even then, he had one of the best games of his life. You know, Zach Taylor called his sack on Patrick Mahomes in the regular season. You know, the hustle of the century. You know. How impressed are you guys with Osai? Like, you know, the Bengals, I'd imagine, will rely on him a lot more next year. 
um, you know, what was so impressive about him and what does the ceiling look like for a guy like that? And same with Cam Sample. Do you think Sam, Cam Sample needs to show more consistency or does he kind of have a high ceiling like Joseph Osai? Like, where do you think those guys stand going into next year? I mean, they're rotation players. I don't know necessarily that, um, you know, they did anything consistently enough to sort of not want to try to pursue somebody that can get to the quarterback more consistently. I think that you need a very specific skill set. Um, and and I, I don't know that those guys um, did that on a consistent enough basis to sort of say, like, yeah, they're they're the future. Yeah, right. yeah I mean, I mean you, all, you could never have enough pass rushers. You could never have enough guys that can get after the quarterback. So um, you need those guys to develop. But, yeah, I'm not sure – that you have seen a ton from them to say, okay, that guy is a bona fide every down defensive end, like or defensive tackle. Like you need, you need some stuff to, uh, you need some stuff to happen for for those guys to to turn into that. Um, so yeah, I, I, you just haven't seen enough from them right now. So let's imagine a scenario where you know twenty twenty three rolls around. You know, Trey Hendrickson's a cap casualty, like you mentioned. You save $15 million. Do you let a guy like that walk and just hope that Joseph Osai or Cam Sample could be the next Hendrickson, or do you think that's a bit of a stretch? Or is well, it I mean, just ideally you have a stretch? Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was just saying I, I would think that they would have, you know, next year if they don't do something this year, they'll, they'll be looking for um, free agent or, you know, something. I, I don't think that they would go into, you know, Hard to say right now, but I mean, in two right. years, I mean, unless they make some sort of huge jump, yeah, I don't think that they would be. I mean, the guys next, yeah. Who are some potential draft picks before we go into a break? Like from the edge rusher position, who do you guys think of that could be that extra piece? Like you mentioned, Mike. Like, are there any names from you know the draft prospects that stick out to you guys? Will Anderson. I think Andrew, Andrew looked at that. Uh, today. Will Anderson from Alabama. And, um, no, uh, one of the guys who I'm fascinated by um, is uh, defensive end Andre Carter from Army. Uh, he's six foot seven and he's 260 pounds and he's got freakish athleticism. Uh, there's a bunch of reasons why this guy is a really unique story. Um, obviously, there's. Um, you know, there's the army aspect where there's been the whole fight of him deferring his service and originally it looked like he wasn't going to be able to. Now it sounds like he just needs a waiver and he's going to be good to play. Uh, he's a dark horse to be army's first round, uh, first, first round pick since 1947. Um, you're talking about a player who really didn't pop until the last year or two. You know, he, he didn't really show that he was, you know, this type of caliber player until the last year or two. So I think that that I sneakily makes some sense for the Bengals at the end of round one, because it's a little bit in the Dax Hill mold because, okay, you know, if you can get a guy in there, like, like an Andre Carter and say, okay, all we need you to do right now is rush the passer on third down. You know, you're going to come in and play on the interior on third down, or we're going to take Trey Hendrickson off the field when he needs a breather. You can play him situationally. You get an extra pass rusher in there, and you kind of develop him because you always worry about that if you're talking about a prospect that's kind of like Khalil Mack. I know that's a stretch, but he came from <laughs> Buffalo. You worry about a guy transferring at that level because not everybody is Khalil Mack. You need some kind of uh, – there. there is a learning curve going from – college football to the NFL, especially if you're not going from an Alabama or Georgia, an Ohio State type of school. So uh, I, I'm fascinated by what happens to him. Um, 
There's a couple names on the inside. Uh, Brian Brise, uh from Clemson is a big defensive tackle, big defensive tackle. Um, I think that he can kind of do some fun things for you on the interior. Uh, there, there's a couple different guys. Uh, Isaiah Foskey in the second round, third round. Uh, I think he didn't really help himself this year at Notre Dame. Um, people kind of thought he was a tweener first round pick at, at this time last year, and he didn't come out. Now you got a guy who's Notre Dame's all-time sack leader. He's really productive, but he's not going to be uh, – the worry that you, that I would have if I was the Bengals is that he's not going to be your number one, oh, my God, this guy's getting 14 sacks a year, which it kind of sounds like you need. Um, and it kind of – I mean, everybody wants, but you're, if you're going to lose a Hendrickson in a year or two, you need somebody to, to come in and play really well and be able to put up eight, nine, ten sacks. Um, so th- there's a lot of interesting names that you can kind of monitor here. Um, you know, and I think I, I, I'm starting to think of defensive end as a little bit not as pressing as the offensive line position, as the, specifically the offensive tackle position, because at offensive tackle, you might need somebody to play week one if Lyle Collins isn't going to be ready. Like, you're going to need some immediate help there. With defensive end, you got Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson there. You're chilling for 2023. Now, obviously, injuries can happen and things that and things like that, but you're, you're good for 2023. Beyond? We'll see. So, so there's a, I think you can really sit at a best player available type position, and if you think, you know, Andre Carter or one of these guys can, can come in and you got to use them as a development year, so be it. That's a good analysis. Mike, anything to add to that? Just that I, I view it as uh, you don't want – I mean, they've been drafting kind of developmental prospects up front for the last couple of years, and I, I think they want somebody that, um, if they, you know, you go for a pass rusher, uh, get somebody that could make an impact now. Um, and, and I know you have some time if you kind of view it as, as a two-year project, but just in terms of, you know, your Super Bowl aspirations – wanting somebody that can um, step in this fall um, more in the mold of a Cam Taylor Britt where you got, you know, just take off um, and not sort of give them that gap year like Dax Hill had. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, Andrew, Andre Carter, he's not related to the Andre Carter, is he? The guy that played defensive end for the Redskins and Patriots? Yeah, he's his son. Oh, that's his son. Okay, I was wondering about that because believe it's so his he, son because it's Andre so, Carter the um, second. So the, the, who, who would, I guess the first one would have to be his dad. I was wondering about that because I, I I heard the name, but I never like looked into that. So I didn't know if you knew, but I like all of that. I like one guy, uh, B.J. Ojulari. I just kind of wanted to mention that because uh, his brother Aziz played uh, played at Georgia, plays for the Giants. So that's a name that kind of sticks out. I don't know if he'd be available for the Bengals at that point in the draft, but that's one name I want to kind of look more into in the future. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about. It's not his son, by the way. I thought it was. Oh, so, you, so, so you fact checked that? I fact checked it live time. Uh, it's wow. Not his okay. Son. Uh, his father was a former lawyer and retired airline employee turned franchisee in the pizza and cash check cashing businesses. <laughs> Congratulations, to Andre Andre Senior. Forgive me, the other Andre Carter. Forgive me if you're hearing this. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the interior rush, what that looks like, what needs to get better, and much more right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast.
Hey there, it's Muhammad Ahmad from the Strictly Stripes podcast. You might be wondering, what exactly is Cincinnati Football Insider? Well, it's a community of fans who want the inside scoop on the Bengals and a direct connection to the Strictly Stripes podcast and the reporters who cover the team. And that would be me, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nislick. It works like this. Andrew, Mike, and I will text your phone a few times a day with breaking news, analysis, and our insights on the Bengals. It's the inside scoop on what we're hearing, and we'll give you the inside word before it even hits social media. Being an insider is the best way to participate with the podcast and get in on special events and Zoom calls with me, Mike, and Andrew. And the best part is you can text us directly. It's a great way to cut through the clutter of Facebook, Twitter, other social media, and avoid the trolls for just $4.99 a month. Still not sure? Well, just try it for two weeks, and if you don't like it, you can text the word STOP at any time, but you won't want to cancel once you join the community of hardcore Bengals fans. Here's the best way to get on board. Go to cleveland.com slash Bengals, click on the blue banner at the top of the page, or if it's easier, text 513-940-4193. It's a great time to try the two weeks free, as we'll be reporting live from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Plus, we'll be covering free agency on the way to the NFL Draft in April. Give us a try for two weeks and see what you think. Just text this number again. It's 513-940-4193 and become an insider today. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So with the interior rush, guys, I want to start with DJ Reader because as we've mentioned on this podcast and even going into today, he's in a contract year. Um, You know, this is the last year on his deal uh, and he's not a cheap one. I mean, he's making about $15 million going into next season. Um, Obviously, what sucked for him and the Bengals is he missed seven games. The impact was very noticeable, especially when, you know, you face Lamar Jackson in prime time. You face Nick Chubb in prime time. And those guys, I mean, for the most part, at least Nick Chubb definitely ran all over the Bengals. Then he comes in, and, like, you'd think this guy's a defensive back with how many passes he swatted. Like, swatted about three or four in his first two or three games back. You know, with just the games that we saw him play, those nine or ten games, I guess it, because they didn't play the Bills, the nine games they played in the regular season, he played in the regular season. Did he prove that he really is one of the best run stoppers and where can he improve as a pass rusher? Cause he did not have any sacks this year. Well, I think he was disruptive in the past game, uh, you know, for defensive tackles, it's different. And I think you could, uh, you see what the numbers were when he was out, um, both the pass rush and the run defense took a hit. I think they averaged opposing defense, opposing offenses averaged 24, 25 yards more, uh, per game, obviously they had a couple of bad games against the run, including that New Orleans game where uh, Reader was out. So I think you saw his impact just ba- based on his absence. You know, he's a guy where um, you don't necessarily worry, like you know Andrew said about um, specific sack numbers, just how kind of how disruptive he was, and he was disruptive when he was in the lineup. Um, and then obviously his his run stopping numbers were among the um, you know best, most effective in terms of. Uh, stop percentage uh, plays he blew up kind of by himself uh, in the top I think ten in the league according to Pro Football Focus averaged about two two per game um, so I mean yeah you, and, and then also the, the kind of the heart and soul obviously of the defense um, you wonder how healthy he was he was on a kind of load management plan after that injury with the with the knee uh, so you, you kind of hope that um, you know with that you know getting back to 100 percent now with the the full off season. Um, he could be, you know, more effective, even better next year. Um, just, you know, not having had a, have that injury. Yeah, and I mean, with Reader, you saw when he was out, 
it's not exactly a one-to-one position swap um, from like the defensive tackle position that he plays and the defensive tackle position that BJ Hill plays. Uh, It's, it's a different type of, of defensive tackle spot. Uh, more interior play, you get taken on more double teams, and it takes a specific type of defensive tackle to do that. Um, like Mike said, you're not exactly looking at the numbers when that when that uh, when that comes around. You're not going to say that well, he only had X hits or whatever. Uh, I mean, the more quarterback hits, the more sacks you can get, the more the merrier. But uh, you're, you're not really going to focus on that a ton. I think it's funny we were talking about you know maybe the plays there, but the production is not for Hubbard and Hendrickson. But I don't think it really matters for Reader. Um, I mean, he's really good uh, if you you know believe in Pro Football Focus. Uh, he was one of the better run defenders in the league. Uh, put himself in a category of Cameron Cameron Hayward, Quinnen Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Aaron Donald, Chris Jones. Like he, those are the five guys that he was behind. Uh, he's right in there with DeForest Buckner and Derek Brown and Jeffrey Simmons and Josh or uh, Josh Allen, Jonathan Allen. Um, so like Christian that's Wilkins. the company he keeps. Uh, that's the company he keeps. So uh, I mean, it's hard to ask for a ton more from Reader, um, but I do think you need to start thinking about a post reader world because you got a guy who's making, you know, $15 million in, in 2023. I don't know how much you want to be paying a guy or a defensive tackle $15 million when Joe Burrow is making 50 and is T Higgins here is Jamar Chase here. You're going to have to make some decisions about how you want to construct your roster. And uh, he's going to be one of them. And let's be fair. I mean, you know, for as well as he's playing, He's closer to the age of 30, and I think at that point, you know, at least for defensive tackles, especially with how much he's been through physically, like you can't see a drop off there. So, do the Bengals want to pay for that, invest in that long term? I don't know. I honestly doubt it. But to that point, I mean, you know, you plan for a post-reader world. How much do you also plan for a post-BJ Hill world? Because he's only got two years left on his deal, and he actually has a potential out going into 2024. So if the Bengals wanted to save $7 million going into 2024, they could release him after next year because he's up there in age two. He's about a year younger than Reader. I mean, just in general, not just with Reader and Hill, but like at the defensive tackle position, how much do you invest in that, and how much more of a priority is that than the edge rusher position like we talked about earlier? Um, well, you know, you, you hear offensive coordinators talk about this a lot where interior pressure is really, really devastating to what an offense can do. Uh, you can kind of, you know, even if it is a Miles Garrett, there are things that you can do to scheme around that becomes a lot more difficult as the Bengals found out and the Bengals saw firsthand in the AFC title game. When you have a guy who's really driving back one of your guards or one of your centers, like if it's happening on the interior, it's a, it's a really difficult thing. So it's, it's a luxury for sure, but I don't know if, if it's a position that you can invest in significantly in free agency. Um, I, you know, well, I mean, we can get into this in a way later conversation, but uh, my philosophy is you need as many draft picks as possible if you're going to pay a quarterback. And like Mike said, you kind of run out of, you run out of options. You run out of like significant draft capital to, to use a player or to use on a player. But I don't know if defensive tackle is a position that, you know, if you're going to pay, if next year you go into the year, you're going to pay Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard to combine $27 million. BJ Hill's making another 10. You can invest a first round pick in a defensive tackle after that, that feels like a lot. That feels like a lot of investment going into defensive tackles. So um, this, this to me feels like you, you can 
mid, some mid-round picks, and you need some development from some of your younger guys because I'm not sure that you're going to be able to afford all of it, and I mean afford all of it with real dollars and afford all of it with actual draft picks. Yeah, I, yeah, think, I agree. You know, I mean, that, it's just the, go ahead. You're running out of running out of money, running out of draft picks. I mean, they don't have any extra picks this year. Um, you know, so it's a it's a, they're they're in a bit of a bind to try to reload that defensive line. Um, you know, you might be looking at trying to get if you're looking for depth. You know, a veteran that kind of uh, gets cut late that might be you know get a deal. I mean, those are some of the things you'll have to consider at both spots. Um, to try to be savvy because you know they don't they don't have an unlimited budget and don't have tons of picks. Only got the, the seven. And I mean, really, you, you talk about death behind you know Reader and Hill. You have Zach Carter, the rookie out of Florida, who I mean he played all those games and started when Reader was out with that knee injury. I don't think he was bad. I think he has a lot of growth that he has to have, but he started showing that, I think, in the second half of the year when he became more of a rotational player. I mean, he played in the playoffs, too, and I think he was as effective as he needed to be, although I think he needs to be more effective if the Bengals want to lean in on him in the future. If, you know, like you said, they don't have much draft capital, if they want to look at him and say, you know, we want to put more stock into Zach Carter, that's going to have to happen, but I think it will. I think he has a good ceiling with where they drafted him in the third round, but then you have Jay Tufeli, who they got off waivers, I don't think that's something you want long-term. I think that's more of a depth piece. And then you have Josh Tupo, who, for as long as he's been in Cincinnati, he's actually been there since 2017. Even then, he almost never really plays because his first sack, which was on Tua Tagovailoa in prior time, that was his first ever career sack. And he's been there since the Marvin Lewis era. So it's uh, it's just one of those tough things where, like, you know, how much do you rely on Zach Carter? Wh- where do you go on the draft? Like, how late do you get a – diamond in the rough and I mean to kind of tie all this up like you know what are some maybe diamonds in the rough that the Bengals could get you know in later rounds where you get someone for cheap and they might actually develop into someone good that you can rely on the future like basically you know is there another Zach Carter that you think that they could get somewhere later in the draft that you guys maybe have been thinking about um I mean in in terms of like the diamond in the rough guy that you're like, okay, that that's hard to say. I don't know if I have a name for you there um, in terms of, you know, who you could get in the mid to late rounds and say like, okay, this guy can immediately contribute. Um, it, it, it's kind of hard to predict those things, which I think just kind of goes back into Mike and I's point where it's okay. Look like this is a, this is a, this is a matter of, of capital that you have both money and with picks and, the hit rate on fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks is not great. I'm not saying they don't happen, you know, where you get a guy in the fifth round, sixth round who comes in and plays, but the odds that that player is going to play are lower and the odds that that guy is going to become a significant starter are even lower than that. Um, so it's it's kind of hard to predict, you know, who a diamond in the rough could be in the fifth round or the sixth round, because if you are getting to the fifth of the sixth round, there is some. I don't want to say something wrong with you, but there is a flaw with your game <laughs> that that uh, scouts and coaches have seen. Because otherwise, you would be you would be higher up. Maybe you played at a at a school that's Division Two or FCS, or maybe you were injured, or maybe you're undersized, or whatever it is. There's something that people are are scared of if you're lasting until the fifth or the sixth round. Well, and I don't know. I think diamond in the rough for Zach Carter is. 
I don't know that he's a diamond yet. Um, I'm not saying diamond, he is. I mean, I'm saying, is, like is there starter. a diamond who might be better than him, per se? Like, that's what I meant to say. Okay. I'm just, uh, yeah, a little confused there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's hard to do. Uh, but like I said, I view it as a, a little bit of opposite, you know, in terms of what they need on the defensive line. I wouldn't be looking for a diamond in the rough. I'd be looking for just a straight diamond. So, uh, yeah. you know, I think you need contributors now. You're not necessarily – I mean, yeah, you got to worry about depth in the future, but uh, this is a Super Bowl contending team. Um, you know, you got to make this final push to get you over the hump. Um, and if it's another pass rusher, another guy in interior that makes more of a difference, um, you got to try to make it work. Right. I think, you know, yeah, that's that's a tough one. I mean, I can't really think of any that comes to mind right away because I don't, I, you know, the names I'm thinking of would be more like your first to fourth round picks. I, I haven't really thought much beyond that. But that's just hard to say because I think, to be honest, like if they're going to get anybody at that position, it'd have to be somewhere in those, you know, might have to be that third or fourth round. Because like Mike said, I agree, like you're a Super Bowl contending team that wants to win now. Like it's not the worst thing in the world to get a project, but you had that with Joseph Osai, and now he's kind of getting there. Same with Cam Sample. I think with this position in particular, you want someone who can just kind of jump right in. And maybe they don't focus on that as much now. They focus more in 2020. Four, as crazy it is to believe that that's almost a year away, but I think that's something you can't worry too much about, but you have to prioritize at the same time, as paradoxical as it sounds. To kind of just wrap up here, I mean, I'm just curious on your all's thoughts about this. I don't think we've ever talked about this, and I really don't know what you guys think of this, but how do you guys feel about the XFL? Like, Did you, did you watch any XFL football this weekend? I've just been like itching to ask you guys that. I mean, what do you think? How do you feel about it? I did. Um, Are you a fan? I'm not proud of it. Uh, but I did. Um, well, because uh, there were some games Saturday, and uh, that was during the, the slam dunk contest. So that obviously took my attention. Uh, shout out Mac McClung um, for not forcing me to watch XFL football. I watched some of the DC Defenders game last night. It was not great football. Um <laughs> I, uh, I, I was kind of watching that. And, and the, the thing that I texted my friends was if an average power five school played, like I, for, I used Maryland. I was like, if Maryland played the DC defenders, what's that score? Like, and I think Maryland beats them up really bad. Like I, I it's not great football. So I think, I mean, they're, they tried, like, I, I didn't see it, but there was something where it was like the Battle Hawks, I think is what they're called, from Seattle or St. Louis. No, not Seattle. St. Louis. I think they're St. Louis. I couldn't tell um, you. They had like a three-point conversion, um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, they did the the fourth and 15 thing that I, I think the Ravens and maybe the Patriots uh, have been on for a while in terms of onside kicks. Um like instead of an onside kick, that's you just take the ball at your own 20 and it's fourth and 15 and there you go. Um, so I, did, I missed all of that, but it's uh, was well, not great. It was not a, I mean, it was a f- entertaining viewing experience. Um, one of my friends uh, texted me and said it was like watching a football game version of The Office. So, oh my gosh, it's not great. It was not great. Mm. What was that? Why is that? Well, I don't understand that. Comparison. Because everything was kind of like gimmicky. Um, they like showed the fans in DC like trying to like do the beer snake thing, where you like put your empty cups and you try to like stretch it from the front row to the last row. 
Um, the there was just a lot of like like weird plays in the game where like you could just tell it was not very high quality football. Um, everything was very like it felt very like slapsticky. Um, I hope it gets better, but I mean you're talking about two quarter like the quarterback for. Oh, who did who did they play? I forget who they played. The Sea Dragons, I think, was their name. It was Ben DiNucci, um, former JMU guy who played for the Cowboys. Like, and then uh, who was the uh, Jordan Teamu? I think is his name. Uh, he was the quarterback for DC. So it's like you're not dealing with like you know quarterbacks that are. It's not a feeder pipeline to the NFL, which is what I think these leagues kind of want to be, and, and I just don't think that's ever going to happen. I'm just gonna be I blunt and say, I didn't watch a minute of it. I said I didn't watch a minute of it. So good for Neither you. Did I. You saved. Neither you saved did yourselves. I. You saved yourselves. I mean, to each their own. To those who enjoy it, good for you. But we have the NFL. We have college football. I'm just content. I don't have anything against it. I'm just content. You can call me complacent. Call me whatever you want. I'm just content with what we've got. And we hope you're content with everything on this podcast. Again, as we mentioned in the ad earlier, make sure you subscribe to uh, – I can't even talk today. Cincinnati Football Insider. Again, it's going to be one of the best investments you'll make. And stay tuned with us tomorrow. We're going to continue our defensive positional reviews. It's going to be a lot of fun, as it has been the last past week. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis and Mike Nizek, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Catch you Tuesday.